Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today, may the 4th be with you, 2023. It is May 4th, 2023. And we are grateful as always for everyone who's joining us here today. I'm Tim Hayes, your host for the first hour. And we're going to be talking about and teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered for the next two hours. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and type on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, click on it, it will let you download and read and then the the chapter titled Why is this happening? The chapter of the book, Michael Rice's book is titled Why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of the book, chapter 24, contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file click the link and download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so. Give us a call at 563 
999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1, it'll put the little icon of a phone or a hand by your phone number and I'll announce you by your area code. And then um, we can have a conversation. Like Susan did yesterday in working through a worksheet or how people have for well over 12 years now to ask questions about these tools and the best ways to apply them and deeper ways to understand the dynamics that these tools make use of and that we can all access to make our lives better. And the more you understand about those things, the easier it is for you to make the decisions that only you can make in your life and create a life that you prefer. That's why we do what we do, to help people tap into their own internal wisdom, their own internal guidance system, and create a life that they prefer. So, um, how can we support you today? What's on your mind? Today is a Thursday, and that means there will be a support group tonight. From 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, these support groups are held through Zoom. They're absolutely free. So if you or anybody that you know would be interested, please go to the MindShiftersAcademy.org website and look for the information about how to join us free for the Thursday night support group. And we'd be happy to have you because it is uh, one of those the more the merrier type situations. The more we have intelligent, loving, focused people on the call, everybody looking to understand their own lives better and function in a way that produces results they prefer, that energy amplifies with each new willing participant and so we would be happy to have you join us and or spread the information around to somebody you think might be of in- interested in it again that's on mindshiftersacademy.org and I should also mention you can also email us if you don't want to call you're not listening live you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get that, any kind of a missive from you, we will discuss or do our best to answer a question or a comment on air. And then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time it was addressed on the show so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. So we have someone with a hand up. I believe it's Susan. Hello, Dr. Tim. I didn't know if you wanted to do your reading first or discussing chapters or anything like that. I did want to follow up on yesterday 
the work we did together. Um, well, please do. It was pretty. It was pretty funny. This is where a worksheet. I'm gonna share. Share this worksheet. Uh, I too seem to be. This is a different version. I have a whole pile of different versions, and I just use whatever is on top. So. Um, Anyway, my reality is made up of thoughts from my own mind. As I learn to change my thoughts, my reality will change. I, Sue, seem to be upset and reacting to MB. I'm calling him MB. Write what happened. Well, I wrote what happened yesterday, you know, and so I don't need to go through that. This surfaces my feelings of rage. More thoughts. I want to punish by throwing him out or criticizing him. What's my level of upset? Eight, bad. Punishment, blame, reactivity, and resistance are not my friends. What I resist persists. I now choose to be responsible. Breathe. And in that box, I wrote, I don't think so. I didn't want to be responsible. And this is how it went. I was honest, and this is just a joke, but it yielded a surprise at the end. So I'll keep going from there. I want to feel better. I now totally released what happened. No, I don't, I wrote. This includes my feelings. No, I'm not releasing them. My thoughts. Nope, they're my thoughts, and I believe them, and they're true. My need to punish. Yep, I'm hanging on to that. And my need to be right. Yes, I'm going to keep that. I now totally release my reactive inclinations. In big letters, I wrote, no, I don't. You can see where this is going. The whole thing was, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it all the way down the line till the end. No enlightened goal. I don't want to have an enlightened goal. And then I had this vision of my mother. She once told me that she admired Catherine Hepburn very much because she stood up to a man or threw out a man or I don't even know what the story was, but she got great pleasure in the idea that she was feisty enough to stand up to a man and live her own life. And then I thought, you know, when you picture people wrestling or boxing, both of which I've thought of just hideous sports, I don't know where I learned this, but there's a move where you get really close to your foe, so close that they can't hurt you because you're stuck to them. And I thought, that's what I'm doing. I'm staying mad like my mom. I'm identifying with my mom's rage because it's about the safest place to be. Not that I ever did that as a kid. I never stood up to her. I never went up to her and got close to her when she was hitting us. I would take it, but I had this idea that if I got really close to her and she was swinging the switch, she wouldn't be able to touch me, and I thought, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing this. I'm staying mad to stay okay, and somehow that moved me off this stubborn thing and a lot of things changed right then and I had done both mind shifters one was much more effective than the other Um, 
but they were full of resistance and the fact that I'm going to hang on to how I feel and this is the right thing and this is how it should be. And somehow there wasn't a direct connection to having done this crazy work, zigzagging through everything and ending up having, now maybe they'll come back, having um, the bad feelings just leave. And then I was walking this morning and going through them, my stuff and everything, and I remembered that Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I thought, that's what we're supposed to do. And there's nothing wrong with doing that in sheep or in various stages of whatever they're doing, but they need to be fed. So I got the feeling about our house guests that we would just keep doing that for a while anyway. And also I I found some other tasks in the house that I could give him, which helped me feel better while I'm processing all this, feel better about his being here. Um he scrubbed some walls that my cats had backed up against and done, sprayed them. And I got this black light flashlight, and you can darken the room and flash it around, and you can see where the cats have done this. And it's quite surprising. In the room where they stay, they're not using the litter box. They're doing it around the bottom part of the walls, on the baseboards, on on a couple of bureaus, and I, I made this concoction, handed him a bunch of rags, and I said, I'd love to have you do this because I don't want to do it. And, of course, you don't either. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And he did it. And he did some, and he's gone to the basement because he has a bad back and a sore shoulder. And so things go slowly, but somehow things move around even when they don't even work. This worksheet didn't appear to work. And that's I'm giving you kind of a mess of a report. <laughs> what is what is what is the uh, the image you have of what it would look like if it had worked? I'd be all sweetness and light, and I'd be able to do the Pierre Prater Van uh, blessing on him with no no rancor, and I'd be able to say hello, love, which we we still do occasionally we see each other on the stairs i'll say hello love if i'm in a good enough mood but boy i'm all over the place so i had expected that there would be this great release and i'd come back into my essence which is love which i'm not locating very well at all um well that essence that is love is still there it's not it's never gone anywhere it never will go anywhere so you don't have to come back into your essence of love you just have to understand that every time you're thinking or feeling something that's less than that, that's not your essence. That's just an error in thought. And so these things work because you're willing to go explore what are my errors in thought, and rather than continue on the old path of listening to those thoughts and treating them as though they're good and right and true, because you know they, they seem to come from a pretty reliable source meaning you <laughs> so we tend right. to we tend to believe what we think which is pretty mm-hmm. silly especially because there's a built-in system to help us identify when our thoughts are incorrect or off the mark and that is any unpleasant emotion or tension within us 
And so once we learn that feedback system and uh, agree to start using it the way it was intended, it opens up worlds for us to make better assessments of our thoughts and to understand our thoughts are not right because we have them. <laughs> Here it comes. Here's something I don't think I've ever said this this way before. Our thoughts are not right because we have them. <laughs> and that's what we think, right? We think if we have a thought, it's got to be right. But our thoughts aren't right because we have them. They're right when mm -hmm. they bring us into alignment with the truth of our nature and with joy and bliss and aliveness. That's mm. why that's when they're right. They're not right just because we have them. They're right when they bring us into alignment with the truth of what is. And that's going to leave us feeling good. At least feeling solid. At least understanding that if we're having a negative emotional response, we're the ones creating it. And we're solid in that. And we feel empowered by that because now we're aware of the fact that we're creating this and that means we've got an option to do differently. Mm. That thought. Your thoughts aren't true just because you have them. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, they aren't true because I have them. They're only true when they lead me to be aware of my true nature or the truth of life as, as it is. And all these great teachings tell us that when I'm in the flow, when I'm seeing the truth of life as it is, I'm not going to be in the bitterness, in the trauma and drama, in the grief. I'm going to be tapping into the higher resources. I'm going to be, I'm going to be like the three-year-old who all of a sudden, has the wisdom of an adult and can see, oh, of course it's a good thing for me to have a nap. Of course it's a good thing for me to stop after one ice cream cone. And I may not even know why, but I'll just have the sense that, oh, yeah, that must be right because it feels more solid, more grounded, more loving. And And, you know... This is the, the the big trick about our lives is that we're trained and conditioned and led to believe that we need to use our conscious logical mind to verify what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. And the essence of it is that is such a tiny subset of everything that we have access to and of everything that's going on in this world that it's truly ridiculous to think that I should simply rely on my conscious logical mind. Mm. <clears throat> you know, we, we had that interview with um, Laura McGowan, and I found myself saying to her, I, if I, it was one of the first times I interrupted her <laughs> in, in the interview, and mm -hmm. I said, um, please, let me interrupt you here and say, the, your ability to recognize that that, group of people that were gathering for the um, the luckiest club groups mm -hmm. online, that is a gift. Mm -hmm. Don't lose that, right? Mm -hmm. And then later on, we were talking about this idea of abstaining from judgment and tapping into insight, intuition, etc., and knowing there's a lot more going on here than our life conscious logical mind can tell us and it came to me to say and a really good example is 
the way that you were able to recognize there's something special going on in the luckiest club. Because if you're just looking at the numbers and the statistics of how many people are showing up or how much money you're making at it, there's no way you would see this as anything special. But when you are able to go beyond just the rigid conscious logical thoughts and the language and what's been programmed and go with your gut, go with your intuition, asking to be shown, going with the flow kind of thing, that's when you start tapping into all kinds of good stuff that you can't get if you stay just, what's the logic here? I shouldn't let him live in the basement. He should do more of this and that. You know, if yeah. I'm having if I'm having a thought like I shouldn't let him live in the basement, and it comes with bliss and joy and you know good feelings about me and about him, and it may be the right thought. And if mm-hmm. I have a thought about with with frustration and tension and judgment and guilt and shame and all of those. I shouldn't let him live in this basement. It's it can't be the right thought. No, because because my alarm system is going off at that moment, telling me, Tim, your thoughts are off the mark. Tim, you're generating mm-hmm. all of this negativity and fear, and you know how many times you have to have people tell you that the the real message in, uh, of Yeshua and, and other great teachers is fear not, fear not, fear not. Mm-hmm. Well, then I just generated a thought about fear. You better be careful. You better watch out. Who cares if you watch out or not? You don't need to watch out. You need do nothing. Go ahead and live your life, you know, (laughs) sucking down beers and watching sports on TV. Go ahead. And it will bring you certain results. And when you've had enough (laughs) of the distasteful results, you're always free to choose again. (laughs) But those people that are shouting, it was, this This came to me after we had our talk yesterday and you were talking about these people that somebody told Elon Musk that um, the fact that he doesn't believe there are these dark entities means he's vulnerable to them, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I had a flood of thoughts about it. One of them was these, these fear not thoughts, right? All of the talk that Michael Rice does about how many times Yeshua was quoted as saying fear not and fear is a demon mm. to be cast out and all that good stuff. And the other one was, if I think I'm done with an issue, I've just put blinders on myself and I'm going to be, I'm going to likely, you know, walk into an open manhole or step on a landmine of that <laughs> very issue. So it's mm. both things. So I don't want to say, oh, no, there is no such thing, because I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going right. to tell you there are no demons and there are no aliens from another dimension that have nefarious uh, intentions. I don't know the truth of that. But I do know what it feels like in me and how productive or unproductive I am when I act from the fear that I generate and yeah. how productive it is and how clear my thinking is and how much better I like the results when I tap into this bliss state, loving energy, um, uh, awareness that things have always worked out, even when I thought that was bad and horrible and wrong, and it's led to some of the best things in my life today. So what makes me think that the next thing that I say I don't like isn't going to lead to the next best thing in my life? 
<laughs> right. It just makes That's sense good. that I should, you know, just not waste the time and energy creating all those negative emotions when the thing that I'm experiencing that I'm labeling so bad and wrong might be the very thing that leads to the best thing that ever happened to me in the next few days, weeks, months, years, or decades, without which I would never have this best thing that ever happened to me. So I don't know the truth of it. I just know that it resonates really well for me to recognize when I'm generating fear and Mm -hmm. to keep my eyes open like the analogy of being on the river in the canoe and instead of, you know, yelling and swearing and screaming that this shouldn't be, that log shouldn't be there or that rock doesn't belong there or this is a stupid place for a dam and whatever, I pay attention to what's in the river and I mm-hmm. use the paddle that I have to steer clear of or to use it to my benefit, the flow of the river, to get around those dangerous situations with the least amount of disruption and the most benefit to move me forward in my path, which I can't do if I'm yelling about it or labeling it as mm-hmm. bad or wrong or, or, or having my eyes closed because I refuse to look at the possibility that there might be a problem here mm-hmm. because it'll take mm-hmm. extra effort for me to try and steer differently and I don't really want to put in the effort right now okay but if I don't want to put in the effort to steer the canoe in a safe way I'm going to create a certain kind of consequences if I don't want to do the worksheets that's okay if I don't want to take responsibility for the anger I'm creating that's okay and it will create a certain type of consequence Mm. You said something yesterday that I would love to have you say a little more about. You said, if, and this is how I remember it, and I misremember it, I'm sure. You said something about when you're in a certain mindset, you'll only believe your own thought about a certain thing. Can you pitch into that? Because that's the best I can do. I said something about that when you're in a certain mindset, you will only believe your own thought about a thing? About yourself, for instance. Um, I should have written it down. Well, it sounds very similar to what we were just saying. My thoughts aren't right just because I think them. Right? My thoughts might be way off the mark, no matter how wise I think I am or how large my intellectual capacity is in this nine-bit brain. I might be way off the mark. And I might be way off the mark because I've got trauma energy up that's, you know, obscuring my view and distorting my perceptual process. Or I might be way off the mark because I don't know what I don't know. I don't know the different data points that are missing from my assessment that I don't even know they're there because I wasn't exposed to them or they're outside my current view. 
or because I've got blinders on, because I believe this, that, and the other thing, and I'm not willing to question my beliefs, because for whatever reason, at some point in time, they seem to be very productive. So I'm going to stick with my beliefs. Is this triggering any thoughts for you? Because I'm not, I'm not, and I just re-listened to that discussion we had yesterday. I just re-listened to it this morning, but I'm not clicking in on what you seem to be asking for. Well, I should tell you what I interpreted because it isn't probably what you meant. I thought you were saying that if you're in a certain mindset about yourself and have certain beliefs about yourself, nothing that anyone can say outside of you will change that. You will default back to your opinion of yourself. Okay. Are you you referring to when I was saying the wounded younger parts of Susan can't hear any voice but hers? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. It just came to me once when I was in a session. This is a few years ago now. And and that I had a person sitting on the couch and I got this image of a like a an elevator shaft that went straight down through the love seat that they were sitting on and straight down through the ground 30 stories down. Wow. And at the end of that 30 stories down there's this room there's this steel reinforced concrete room you know with like six foot thick walls and it's 30 Mm -hmm. stories down and I'm sitting here holding up the mirror for this patient of mine and telling him or her how intelligent they are and how wonderful it is that with all of the abuse they've gone through in their life they're a loving person and and they're attractive and they're smart and they're and all this good stuff and the wounded parts of them that are down there 30 stories down can't hear any of that. Okay, yeah. And yet there's, that sounds right. there's, a, there's a direct intercom from that person's thoughts and words directly down that elevator shaft 30 stories down into the room where their wounded selves are gathered. Mm-hmm. And the only voice, the only input they ever get is from their true self, their adult self, their whatever. And so that's I said, and I, I read this email that I had sent to a patient yesterday or the day before that said um, you might want to, if you understand that, if you remember this truth that my inner being, my inner you know, younger wounded children, however you want to call it, only hear my thoughts and my words. Mm-hmm. And once mm-hmm. I remember that, I might want to choose to use that to motivate me to monitor my internal dialogue and any time it goes negative, choose to shift it over to something that is more loving, more gentle, more positive, more accepting. And we talked about how I've had patients who they they either have cats that they love and they talk to them in the sing-song, 
baby voice and loving no matter what they did right they just knock something over on the counter and they go oh sweetie you don't belong on the counter and they gently put the cat down and then they clean up the mess without mm-hmm. any upset yeah. and they've had to learn to turn that kind of acceptance and voice toward themselves to mm. great success wow yeah in their internal yep, dialogue right and I've had some people that have young children that they, you know, and the kids haven't yet hit that contentious age at the preteens or teens, and they still have all of these loving times together. And they would do mm-hmm. anything for their child. They love their child so much. And I say, okay. And yet you speak violently toward yourself in your own internal dialogue, and you're merciless. Right. And you're berating yourself whenever you make a mistake or when you don't relate instantly lovingly to that child or you think you've made a parenting mistake. So you might want to understand that that negative talk about yourself is the only thing your younger wounded selves hear. They don't hear me telling you what a wonderful parent you are. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't get to see all of the evidence that I hold up for you to look at. They only get the evidence that your mind presents them when it's harping and negative and judgmental. And if you recognize that and you choose to use that to motivate yourself to be more vigilant about what you do with your internal dialogue, you can make amazing progress in healing your wounded inner beings and changing your internal dialogue uh, to, to be more accurate and more loving. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you waste a lot less energy. You don't waste anywhere near as much energy on the negativity. Right. But that's why one of those bottom line observations comes up so often when I'm working with people in therapy and it says if I have a negative thought about myself or a negative emotion running in my mind I can tell instantly three things number one it's a lie or based on a falsehood number two this is not about the current situation this is an old tape playing this mm-hmm. is what I've learned to say or do or ridicule myself or judge myself from the bullies in school or my parent when they weren't acting lovingly or my grandparent that attacked me or whatever. It's not about the current situation. And the third thing I can know is if I sit and let it run as a thought or if I speak or take an action from it, it's just going to make my life worse. It cannot possibly improve my circumstances. It would be like dumping garbage on the buffet table right before dinner. It cannot improve the dining experience. (laughs) So if I learn to monitor my internal dialogue, my thoughts and or beliefs, and screen them for their negativity and choose to take a breath and reevaluate it makes a huge difference in my life experience. I like how you stay local. Um, you stay 
within the realm of your own experience and what you have found to be true for yourself. Uh, like the demon story. I had a friend, actually I met him at, at Heartland, young man who sent me a series of five hours worth of videos about basically they were brilliant man made them and he's published a book that became a bestseller but I can't tell you what it is but basically he was showing why this person died and this thing happened and it was all knit together in a huge conspiracy it was very scary to listen to this like the media and everybody's all in cahoots it's a dark dark thing and you've got to get on board with this conspiracy theory stuff they don't call it conspiracy theory but they're talking about conspirators who are aiming to do evil in the world bad things and I listened to the whole thing and I remember five hours worth five Five hours hours. quiet Dr. Tim (laughs) I know you made a point already (laughs) but this is this is a guy I wanted to honor his wish for me to listen. It was hard work. And he wanted me to join a group that met discussing these things. And he made predictions like on April 12th, probably three years ago now, there was going to be this huge revelation. And certain big big shots were going to be brought down. And the ones who were being um, looked down upon or punished were would be proven to be the good guys. And Trump was one of them. He, he's a gifted man. He's got the hand of God on him, and he's going to show us. And he's telling me this stuff, and I'm impressionable. I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, maybe he's right, maybe he's right. But then it, something just snapped, and I said to him, um, whether this is true or not, I'm not on board with this, and I don't want to join your group. I haven't got whatever it takes to be part of this group. Maybe it's courage, maybe it's honesty, maybe it's something really good, like a kind of deep discernment, which tells me this isn't a good thing to do. But I told him I couldn't do it. And he, you know, he covered his, himself very well. He, he, his uh, stance is that he's going to remain loving, you know, um, and the way he used that loving was almost like a further weapon. Like I can show you that this is right because I'm going to prove to you that I'm even more loving, so loving that I can accept your negative view of all this and I'll I'll pray for you and this sort of thing. And I wanted to punch him in the nose, but I haven't had any contact with him since. And I read a lot on Facebook. He posts a lot of stuff on Facebook it's all from this same uh, angle. And you just did it with Elon Musk and the, the demons. You just said, I, I don't know about that. I don't, can't go there. I do what I can within what I understand, and it's improved my life. And this is where I'm going to stay. I'm, I'm open. I'll listen. But I, I have no knowledge of that. I, I just thought that was a good thing 
Well, you know, it, it, it works for me to just um, stay within what I'm drawn to. Like, uh, I've had a number of people over the years, um, either through my private practice or through my associations with the Mind Shifters Radio and all the different times I've been to Heartland and everything else, I've had a number of people tell me, here's the truth, here's the thing. And, and whenever it's fear-based, I, depending upon my feeling of respect for that person and trying to honor them, I might do as you did. I probably would have only listened to a half an hour of a video if it was five hours long and it was negative. But I give it a, a you know, what seems to me to be a fair tr- test. And then I align myself with the videos or the books or the audios that feel right to me. So, like, here's this uh, Christian Sundberg's book with this wacky stuff about a pre-life experience. <laughs> like, oh, what are you talking about? You I can't know. prove any of that. I, but if it resonates with me and leaves me feeling loving and gives me a slightly different way to talk about and feel and explore within myself the same kinds of things that have been fruitful for me in the past, I'll yeah. I'll go for that. So here, you know, mm-hmm. already this past uh, weekend, um, I spent six hours listening to the uh, My Big Toe book, which is mm-hmm. probably every bit as wacky for somebody who's believing that you know, President Trump has the hand of God on him. What I was listening to is probably every bit as wacky as you think that that five-hour thing was. Mm-hmm. Because from whatever perspective I where whatever perspective I have and stand from, things look a certain way to me. Yeah. Right. Have you ever looked in the sky and seen you know the constellation of Pegasus or the um, Orion, the the hunter with the belt, and have you ever looked at that? Yeah, have you ever seen that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so far, from our perspective, we can see that. What do you think the mm-hmm. perspective is from, you know, five thousand or fifty thousand light years away to the left? Do you think they're going to mm-hmm. see the same thing? No, they're not going to no. see anything like a hunter or a belt or a line of three. There may not be any three stars in alignment in their entire guy view. So it's everything is about your perspective and where you stand. And so from the perspective of people who soak up a news feed that is pro this, that, or the other person, especially somebody like President Trump, ex-President Trump, that the uh, it's going to make perfect sense. Just like for the person who is raised in in an abusive family home where there's a lot of screaming and violence and swearing, and and then they grow up and have their own children, it makes perfect sense to them to beat their children when they're not behaving and to say, spare the rod, spoil the child. It just makes perfect sense. Mm. And I can't... I was listening to somebody who's very bright, very articulate just the other day talking about they they, they were doing um, a series of interviews about language. And my father was a, you know, 
a person who had great interest in language and had big dictionaries around the house and had favorite friends of his that they would try and stump each other every every workday morning with a, a new word that you had to use it, define it and spell it and use it in a sentence. And So he just loved mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So here's these people mm-hmm. on this uh, talk show and they're talking about swearing and swe- how did it develop and what has been the the role of swearing in history and how, you know, at, at times it was very well accepted, certain words that were just in common usage. And then, you know, uh, 50 years later, now that they're horrible and civilized people don't use those words. And yeah, but everybody, including civilized people, used it frequently 50 years before, right? So this thing just ebbs and flows. And so these people are having these conversations and here's a very bright, very successful person today who says, I swear loud and often in front of my kids. I want them to have the full palette of words to use. I want them to learn <laughs> where it's appropriate to use this and not. And There's a real skill you have to develop to be able to swear like a sailor and not get thrown out of a restaurant or whatever. And that perspective, I just had to chuckle because I can't make sense of that perspective. And I know why. I know that because of the way I was raised, swearing was not done by the the, the trunk of the tree, mom and dad, right, in the house. It Mm -hmm. just wasn't done. Even in, you know, the the thumb gets hit by the hammer. Mm -hmm. And the worst I heard was, God damn it! In like under one's breath with tightness and because they were, in pain, right? Sometimes severe yeah. pain. But, but I I know that's not the norm. Mm. My my brother went to college with some people, and then you know years afterwards, and he had teenage kids. I was at their house one morning. We they they let us sleep on the floor on the the night after the football game, and we got up and had breakfast at their family table. This guy was using f bombs and the s word and and the c <laughs> word and at the breakfast table, and it felt mm-hmm. to me like my head was going to explode because it was the first time in my life that I'd ever been exposed to that level of swearing in front of children, let alone one's own mm. children, right? Yeah. But that was just what he did. And my perspective wouldn't let me see that as valid or justifiable. But it doesn't mean he's wrong. Right? There, there are probably far more people on this continent that use words like that openly in front of their kids than I have any awareness of. Mm. And there are probably far more people that do that then there are people who go to such great lengths to try and avoid swearing, like I do. I'm not mm. saying I'm right. I'm just saying it's what's comfortable to me because of the upbringing I had and because of, you know, how how it resonated with me as a person. But, mm. you know, I I know about swearing. I've worked in a construction site. I've worked for seven years in corrections. I've been around police stations and firehouses, and 
it's not like I don't. I've never heard swearing, <laughs> or that I think that everybody swears is a bad person. It isn't about that. It's about whether or not it resonates well for me. I just looked up and realized somebody here has a uh, a hand up. So is it all right if yeah, I turn sure. on this microphone? Of course. Area code two zero six. You're in the air. Who do we have? Two zero six. Did you intend to put a hand up, 206? All right. Hello? I'll assume that they... 206, you're in the air. Give us a name and tell us how we can support you. Yes. Hello. Hey, I, I'm sorry. I was listening and I'm at work and I, I don't know what happened, but it must have accidentally um, clicked on one? my hand up. Yeah, I must okay, accidentally so... press one up. So right, I'm going to just continue to listen. All right, excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Susan, we got ten minutes left. What's on your mind? <laughs> you don't swear. <laughs> I won't swear. Actually, I'll tell you one of the reasons my son-in-law, my ex-son-in-law, uh, thought I was the absolutely worst person and grandmother was. There was some swearing that went on in their house, uh, my daughter's house, and she had these three little boys. And I don't know what led to this, but I said, you guys seem very curious about these swear words. I took them to a park, and we went to the edge of the park where the woods was, and there was nobody around. And I said, all right. I want you each to say all the swear words as loud as you can. Just say them out loud, really loud. This is your chance to say these words because you're not allowed to say them at home. And I don't think it's a good thing to say them at home. But you seem so curious and preoccupied about them. There's nothing magic about those words. So they took turns, and there was so much laughter. They were rolling on the ground, and they asked me what they meant. And when I could, I would explain, but... The F word, for instance, I just said it has to do with making babies, and I can't really tell you about that. It's it's not a bad thing in itself, but this is a swear word that they use to make it seem bad. Well, I said, fellas, you know, probably not a good idea to tell your parents that we did this, but they thought it was just hilarious, and they felt, I don't know what it was that they felt, but they were relieved and glad, and we went home, and we had had a good time. Well, of course, they told their father right away, and boy, was I in bad trouble. I don't think he understood that he, I think he thought I was teaching them swear words in order to use them. The boys couldn't explain what I was doing, and of course, I never got the chance, but I just thought it would be a demystifying thing to just have them say them all out loud, as loud as they wanted to, and get it out of their system. So that came to mind as you were talking. We don't swear around here much, except they're very useful if you really need one. And Tim and I don't have kids around, so once in a while, one comes in very useful. <laughs> and, and, you just, and, and what does it do? How is it useful when you do it? Does it, like, put more it, money in the bank, or does it clean the bathroom for you? What does it do <laughs> when you say it's really it, it, useful? It's, 
it opens a valve and lets off steam. That's all. Who knows? <laughs> yep. There you go. It's very good to have words like that. I think <laughs> have them for for that kind of purpose. But you do have to watch out when you do them. Uh, you know. Anyway, I did two mind shifters. The first one was, I wish I could live as wide open and vulnerable as MB does. And the second one, it is safe and healing for me, and I love it, to live wide open and vulnerable in the world. Well, it was much easier to do the second one, although they're quite similar. The first one, I just argued against it the whole time. I don't want to live as wide open and vulnerable as MB. I don't want to have people look down on me for being homeless. He's willing to live with great uncertainty and discomfort. He's willing to live with a high degree of danger. He's willing to be cold, to have no place to live, no bathroom, no shower, uh, except perhaps in his car that's stuffed with his belongings and dog to the point where he can't even stretch out to sleep. He's willing to live with a low opinion of himself, which he probably has, though I'm not sure. He's okay, so what did without... this reveal? Did this reveal instead of focusing on what he's willing to? What did this reveal okay. about you when you did the mind shifter? That I'm not willing. What did to you be learn about you? That I'm not willing to be open and vulnerable, and that led me to think, well. Am I missing out on being vulnerable in the best possible way? And I haven't gotten that far yet. There's a good way to be vulnerable that actually opens you to life. And I've, seen, I've confused them. Anyway, uh, this is sort of raw material, so it's probably not useful to talk about it at this it point. Is. It's- and it's useful at at the level of self exploration, which is what all of us need to do. We can't, you know, we can't grow past our own willingness to do self exploration. Yeah. However willing we are to look inside, that's that's what will either expand or limit our ability to grow. As soon as I say, I don't want to look inside me, I've limited where I can grow. Mm. All right, so we have uh, another hand up here, area code 541. Is this Celinda? Yes, it is. Welcome. Uh, just a couple of thoughts, real quick. Uh, one, when I get in that place where I'm unwilling to look, um, I've taken Michael's uh, metaphor of being in the bomb shelter. It's pure survival. I want to be safe. I'm not going to grow in that moment because I'm feeling very unsafe. And so I thought I'd share that because I'm really enjoying your conversation, you two, your conversation together, because 
Oh, you're pulling me up by my bootstraps, and thank you. I'm pulling too, but you're helping me get over the over the wall, so I really appreciate it. Uh, the other thing is real quick. Um, are you aware that almost all, if not all, of the uh, swear words in the English language come from the Anglo-Saxon? And they were the Anglo-Saxon vocabulary for the expressions that the, Latin, the uh, Romans came in and said, oh, that is so uncouth, that is so boorish, you need to speak Latin. So we now we have these four and five syllable words for these Anglo-Saxon words, and we have designated them as shit words, uh, sorry, that was an F-bomb, uh, as um, irrelevant and uncouth and only good for swearing. So the energy that comes along with, well, one of the reasons I rarely use a swear word unless I'm in extreme pain, like Susan, you said, or um, also uh, I'm aware that I've got a tongue in cheek and I'm laughing, rolling on the floor, thinking it's really funny, um, or connecting it to the uh, Anglo-Saxon language where it was a totally um, legitimate word. So I thought I would just share that with you for the fun of it. Put took it totally yeah, it, out of good and bad. Well, it's it just reminds me of the idea of, you know, please don't take offense because you're you're the only one that's going to create offense. The word doesn't create that's an right. offense, and right. you know, so don't take offense because you're the one who's doing it. To yourself, you think somebody else has offended you by saying or doing something or not saying or doing something. And then uh, a few years ago, it came to me to start saying, please don't take offense, even if it's offered. Right. Even if somebody right. comes at you and they want to make you angry or they want to make you feel bad about yourself, they're going to try and insult you or they're going to try and get you riled up. Them coming at you saying or doing anything is not causing the emotion in you so right once you become aware of that you can say okay um this word they're using it may have a certain meaning for them but i'm not going to let it be a, a a thing that i throw an interpretation on and pour my mind energy into that creates a tremendous amount of upset for me because that's the only thing that can create upset for me what I do with my mind energy is the only thing that creates upset for me. I, I recognize that, and I also uh, use that, and I also recognize that I'm tapping into the energy of the, uh, that's behind the word. And so I use that as another indicator um, about whether it's going to be appropriate for me to laugh or uh, look at my own emotional state, or just to be aware of the other person's emotional state, that sort of thing. Well, and even if they have an energy that's angry or bitter or hurtful, doesn't mean you have to add to it or generate your own inside <laughs> yourself. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. So it's, it's a trigger for me to look at my own energy, uh, my own response or reaction in return. 
and to be aware. All right. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for the comments and questions. I will mute you so you can listen into the second half. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Chan. Appreciate it. Thanks for playing the show for us yesterday. You're welcome and deserving. Glad you're back uh, live today. Have a great show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Thursday, May the 4th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-81. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in and... Uh, I see we already have a hand up, but we will uh, give him just a second to dial in there. And good conversation. Actually, had a similar conversation with someone the other day about um, all of the things that were happening in their life. And I said, Yeah, there are situations going on that are in actuality, but the way that you react to it is that's you. Uh, that's the actuality out there reality what's going on in your head so you know you can choose to be upset or not and I said it's kind of like playing tug of war person needs you to respond to give them feedback for whatever it is that they're needing to heal like if you hold uh, fear then the other person maybe holds anger and you bounce off each other and so if you drop your end of the rope it changes their game They may still act the same way, but if you don't have the response, the reaction, which is an action that you're doing again, then they will have to go some, they'll either change and quit behaving however they're behaving, or they'll go find someone else to behave that way with because they still need that feedback until they're ready to look at whatever it is, whether it's their anger or whatever. And as Michael says, anger is a drug. It's actually not an emotion. It's what we use to hide the fear or the pain or whatever it is that we're not wanting to look at. And, you know, we maybe associate that with weakness. And so we associate anger with strength and we may call it protection or defense or whatever, but um, that's covering it. So if you're doing a worksheet, oftentimes if you do the worksheet on what's underneath the anger, the fear or the pain, then you won't need the anesthetic of the anger. And so... I see Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And we get to move forward to the next level of this conversation about first century Aramaic forgiveness. And one of the things that I really love about doing this show is that you just never know when somebody's going to call in that's going to have the very question that one gives you the opportunity to heal and or you know teases out the piece of information that just opens a whole new wow and i had that happen in a conversation i had just the other day with someone and it's just like we are so blessed that we get to engage in all of these conversations and you know sometimes they're not so exciting but when you really hang with it and listen uh the gifts are just monumental so Thank you, each and every one, for participating in this 
thing called Mind Shifters Radio. And so, Ms. Jeannie, do you have any – I heard you say you had a hand up, so let's just go ahead and say hello. All righty. I believe it's David, 206. You are on the air. Welcome. Like, we were like – yeah, like uh, we Christian. Are you there, David? Yeah. Hey, welcome, David. Yeah. Hello. He must not realize he's on yet, and he's talking to somebody yep. else in the yep. background. Yeah, knock it out. So I'm going to mute him for a minute. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Maybe he'll call right back in. So sure. that's the only hand that was up right now. Okay, well, let's check and again. So the conversation was on what was going on inside of us, not something that's outside of us and how we respond right. to the outside events. Yes. Yes, the ones who want to make us vacate, i.e. make us feel or do anything, are oftentimes the very ones that we most need in our lives to give us that opportunity to look at the part of us that wants to be angry or escape or run away or fight or strife or whatever it happens to be. And so we're here to open space to embrace all of it. And let's see if David's turned his attention back toward his microphone yet. Actually, he dropped off, so maybe he'll call call back in. Okay, cool. Stress. There's an awesome worksheet on our website called the Mind Goal Management Worksheet. And the Mind Goal Management Worksheet shows you how to, or is a format for doing the five things that the faculty of will is able to do. We have a spiritual faculty called will, and that's what's designed to manage our minds. Sadly, most people's minds are managed by the goals of their unresolved, related to their unresolved pain, or the goals of the unresolved pain of generations and generations and generations. Like, if you have no patience for something or somebody, then perhaps there's an issue around patience. And you get the opportunity to hold space for what's going to move in you when that happens. And we are not, our minds are not designed to be driven by unresolved goals from the past, whether it's your past or generational past. And we literally have millions of goals in our minds. Every time that a goal is set within the mind, that goal either must be achieved or canceled. Elsewise, it will run forever under the surface. Oftentimes, when you say to somebody, why did you do that? And they say, scratch their heads, kind of, I don't know. It's because it was an unresolved goal under the surface that they weren't even conscious was running their minds. And so there are five things that this spiritual faculty called will can do. Will can frame a goal. Will can set a goal. Will can maintain a goal. Will can select a goal for immediate attention. And then the biggest one that's missing from our culture is Will can cancel a goal. And so there's a worksheet for 
strengthening and developing that faculty of will on whyagain.org. And so if you access that website, that, uh, pardon me, worksheet, what you'll see is there's a, a brief explanation at the top that talks about these five faculties of will and the strengthening of them. And then there's a format for canceling goals from yesterday, for framing goals for tomorrow, and then in the first thing, first thing in the morning for getting up and looking at reviewing the goals that you have framed and then determining whether or not they're appropriate to set for today and taking it all to the next level. So that worksheet is on the website. If you want uh, the streaming or the DVD workshop that goes along with that, you can go to the catalog and you'll find a workshop entitled Getting the Stress You Need. Stress is one of the most important things in life, and stress comes from one thing and one thing only, and that is setting a goal. And so that's a part of this whole process of understanding the process of how the mind works and bringing the mind into harmony with your highest intuitive guidance and your vision. Vision not having anything to do with eyes, but rather vision being that capacity within us from the higher state of mind to conceive of what's possible in our lives, even if we're not at the possible, even if the possible isn't showing up in our world, can I envision it? And that's the first step to bringing it into our world. Probably the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings down through the ages is that we've had hidden from us the fact that we are by nature creators. You and I are creative beings. And that's an idea that, you know, pretty much everybody really likes. Oh, boy, that's a great idea. I love the idea of being a creator, unless, of course, the creation isn't going so well, and then they know who the problem really is in their lives, and notice it's always somebody else. If there's somebody else, or pardon me, if there's somebody in your life that you think needs change in order for your life to get better, then just know that you're living in denial, you're dissociating from the very content in your mind that is the problem, and it's undoing that dissociation that happens through forgiveness. Our culture tells us that our forgiveness is about somebody else and letting them off the hook. We're not talking about forgiveness in that regard. We're talking about pardoning. And what forgiveness does is allows us to make contact with the unconscious part of us that's creating the attractive energy, the resonance that brings in the why is this happening to me again experience. And so our whole body of work is about moving out of those dynamics and really truly moving into the truth of who we are as human beings. Who are we really? Hold a newborn child. You know exactly what the truth is about you. It is that you are the active presence of love. And it's the forgiveness of everything unlike that. I talk to so many people and they'll, They'll talk about a problem in their lives, and they'll give me the whole description, and, all, and they'll say, and yeah, it's all their, pro- their fault. It's all their problem. It's like, it's got nothing to do with me. Excuse me, you just told me about all this trauma going on in, inside of you, and you're telling me about how it's somebody else's fault? Surely you jest. 
Yeah, but that's the basis of the culture. Again, the, the fact that most people by the age of four in this culture are card-carrying members of the one world religion of blame. It's all somebody else's fault. And guess what? It's anybody else's fault. In fact, the people who you most want to blame it on are the people who are showing you the deepest hidden parts of your own mind and giving you the awesome opportunity to work through those parts of your own mind. And so a thank you is due. But generally speaking, it takes some real growth to get to that thank you, to get to the point of recognizing there's a thank you appropriate here. So why is this happening to me again? Because I'm a creator. If I don't like what I'm creating, it's time for me to own it and start to make a change. Did I hear your voice, Miss Jeannie? Yeah, we have a hand up, and I believe that is Peter. We haven't heard from you in a long time, sir. How are you? Yeah, it's been a while. Hello there. Hey, Peter, welcome. Thank you. How do you be, sir? You hear me okay? You're loud and clear. I'm good. It's like you're right next door instead of in Sweden. Technology's awesome, isn't it? It is. It is. And I second your first uh, sentence about how everything is just beautiful and you get to go deeper in the process and just something happened, the next call to call in and whatever you go through with that. Because when you spoke to Magda the other day, it was just uh, right on track, as you say. You mean, you mean that the, the gift of her conversation gave you what you needed? Yes. Sweet. Indeed. Or, and it was so clearly, I mean, like you said, I'm in Sweden, so it's the other side of the planet, and we have all these solutions, and yet it as it's as if I was sitting next to the two of you when you were having that conversation and what was happening right here was like as if I was having the conversation with you. Nice. So it's really interesting. Awesome. It, 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 it's the whole thing. I mean, the fact that we have a human life and what we're discovering about having a human life to me is just so monumental and such a gift, it's beyond amazing. I was that. actually think, thinking about you uh, yesterday as I was doing some work in the garden and uh, getting ready to get out some biochar and uh, put it to work in the garden, and uh, that you were doing that at Heartland better than two decades ago. Yep. Time flies and you're having fun, yes. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, so I called in just to let you know that I've uh, I've uh, found the code. I think you say uh, I got the code. I know I know what it's all about now. It's all good. And, all right. Uh, I had I had time. Tell us. Uh, tell us. Tell us. Uh, to everything. The code. To everything. Uh, I, Tanya was uh, sharing something from work and um, 
and this is what I meant with you and Manga conversation. But Tanya was sharing with me that, and I could tell something at work, and it was some kind of uh, friction there, and I could so clearly tell that, uh, and I told her, Tanya, exempt no one from your love. I mean, that's something I heard from you. So I, but the the phrase was so clearly, and I could see how she was. By doing that very thing that she was pointing finger and locking out, she was closing places within herself. And it was so clear, so I told Tanya, Tanya, exempt no one from your love. And then we went to bed, and the next morning I woke up, and uh, early, like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, which is not my normal time. And and I stayed in bed, uh, still eyes closed, and went through all these different uh, like spontaneous meditation I started to relax my body and I I was lying for, there for like an hour and just more and more the next step of relaxation next step of relaxation I just kept finding new places and relax, relax, relax and then the, the other phrase came uh, in my defenselessness my safety lies mm, and yeah. with the because the tension the, that I experienced was some kind of uh, armored believing that I believed that was going to help me, but the relaxation constantly. So then the phrase came, uh, in my defenselessness, my safety lies. And, and then I, uh, I had all these different things, like the, the gentle art of blessing. And uh, I don't this was, probably this weekend so I don't remember all of it now and but I I had to go I was going to go to work so I left before Tanya had gone up to bed and I, but I was experiencing bliss so I probably had two hours of going through all these different things in my mind and I texted her saying oh now I, like I said now I know it all so I'm going to meet each client, because I was going to work, I'm going to meet each client. Right. Namaste, I greet that, which is closest to me, which is closest to you. Uh, gentle art of blessing, instead of exempt everybody, include everybody in my love. And it was just, I, I knew it all. <laughs> it was just yeah, lovely. I hear you. And then, by, and it was really blissful. I was really, really blissful. I'm driving to work. Human life. I had a smile from. There you go, smile from ear to ear, and by evening time, Tanya had to stop me from writing an email to a person who I really wanted to suck it to. And uh, <laughs> so next opportunity. <laughs> again, that is to me so. Interesting and amazing because I mean, like a live, in real life mind shifter. That's awesome. But, you know that that line in, is from the Course in Miracles, exempt no one from you love. But do you remember what the rest of it says? That passage. Well, I heard you say it, but no. Yeah, oh. exempt no one from your love or you will be hiding a darkened place within your own mind where healing is not welcome. Exactly. Every so-called body that we think we see outside of us is actually a construct in the mind and is constructed out of 
when there's some form of hostility or fear, it's constructed out of what we're hiding from ourselves. When we can extend love into what appears to be that person out there, but is really the energy pattern within ourselves, and that love reaches down beneath, then that's where the real healing happens. Key, one of the things that I rediscovered on a whole new level just a couple of nights ago, woke up probably about four, about four in the morning, as you were talking about, and Jeannie was, you know, sort of, her stomach was gurgling and some stuff going, so I reached over and put my hands on her, and what I was taught in that moment, you know, is kind of in that in-between state, sensitive place, and what I was taught was that the other thing is to exempt no part of you from your breath, because it is the breath that extends the love into the tissue structure where the darkened places are hidden. And so that was just, a, for me, a refinement on what you're talking about and, uh, and realizing the importance of being able to extend the breath into every part of the structure because that's what delivers the presence of love into our own physiology. So it's really, everything is really easy, actually. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's a challenging well, I, process. I would say, I would say simple, not necessarily easy. <laughs> good, good, good refinement. Good refinement. <laughs> it's all there. Because the challenge is to, to remember when you're up to your bippy and alligators that the objective was to drain the swamp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it was so clear looking at Tanya that. She is now, i.e., killing herself in this process because uh, w- with the process that she was doing. Then the night after that, I was in the very same state. But as you're saying now, it is beautiful and simple. And sharing, yeah. I did some archery today. And uh, being in contact with... Because you, the whole passage that you read the other day um, with this exempt uh, no one from your love, I can't right. uh, recite it, but hearing all that, and I was doing some archery today, and I think I shared this before, you go to a full draw length, you anchor uh, underneath your chin, and then there's like two more millimeters you need to draw, and then the, there's a draw indicator, and then you release the arrow. And right. That is like the, the symbol of life itself. You're so, now it's going to happen. Now it's time of reckoning. Now it's time of measuring. And I, again, again today noticing that I was just so much fear in that very moment because now I'm going to be judged, my perception was. And, and then I did some forgiveness after that. And the same, same, very same thing came up that what I wanted was to that two millimeter process is so to embrace and to include and to welcome that process. So the opposite of exempt and and doing a lot of crying and uh, because that was the sim. If you change the 
the word from archery to life, so to welcome, to embrace, and to include life, i.e. love. And uh, yes. it was just such a powerful process uh, today. Hmm. Sweet. Sweet. And And taking the time each day to cultivate our relationship with ourselves as love becomes a really key part so that when those challenging times comes comes along, I can go, oh, yes, but that's not who I am. Spending time just really presencing the truth about yourself as love in your own physiology. To me, that's such a key. And, again, the breath is part of engaging in that process. And I and I I didn't know before this interaction that I had with Jeannie that um that it was the breath that actually brings the presence of love into the deeper tissue structures. And when we're only shallow breathing, we're not supplying the rest of the structure with that presence. And it's it's like literally the carrier and the delivery vehicle for for life to the cell. So thank you for sharing that discovery and passing it along to everybody. That's truly, truly deeply valuable. And on that note, I have a question. As you Go know, for it. Uh, my, as you know, my father passed. And, yes. Uh, I shared the, with you the process that I had, which was a beautiful process. Uh, not a desire process, but it was, and it was a beautiful process. Right. And at the same time, I'm kind of looking at it now because it's now six weeks ago. And right. Why is it like I shared? I had this epiphany in the morning that now I've now I know this is the way to go about life. And then by evening time, the next issue was surfacing. But during the time, during these two weeks with my father that I spent pretty much 24-7, I was, I'm thinking now that I was able to keep or stay in the presence of love more so than any other two weeks in my life. Yeah. Maybe not minus when I was young. So why... Right. Why was I able to stay in that space? Even though there was a lot of crying going on, there was, uh, like I think I mentioned to you, I had this, you you say in your book, there's Eskimos has 52 different words for snow, and I felt that I had 52 different words for crying. So there was a lot of that going on, but at the same time, I felt, looking back, I felt more love presence, I was more being present in the love that I am than ever before for during those two weeks. My my take there uh, would be, Peter, that your intuitive knowing, once you made a commitment to be that close to your father, that connected, that caring of and for your father in his passing, 
my my take would be that 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 stronger part of you, that true being, was awakened on a new level. And that would be one of the reasons why you'll tend to keep unfolding insights as time unfolds from here. But the the demand, the call for it from him and your willingness to respond to me would be key. And that it was without question in the last few days of his life the most important thing you could have done for him, aside from taking care of his physical needs, which as you shared, you did. But that that another my take would be that another part of you, another part of knowing takes over and the ego stuff becomes secondary. I remember when I had my first what I've called you've heard me describe before as an opening experience where I just had this full, total knowledge of the presence of love and and how this energy system worked and for almost a year, approximately a year after that, like literally from one day to the next, it was a Thursday evening, I was at Unity in Delray Beach, and I was delivering a lesson in the Course in Miracles class on the difference between healing a cell and healing the genes that are the source of the cell. It was like something I was being taught in that class as I presented. It's not information that I knew, but I was being taught it. And I went home and I sat down and I, I mean, it was just like so exciting. And I started to write and I thought I'd written pages. When I finally came back to, I'd only written a couple of lines, but a bolt of light shot up my spine into my brain and exploded there. And the, the knowing, the presence, the bliss, was beyond all comprehension and you know the day before there were issues with people around me and things going on that you know I would still carry upset about one of the things in uh, in this opening experience that I had I, I could ask any question that I wanted to ask and I was given a full visual answer and a non auditory verbal response so it was explained to me and at one point I asked about the ego and I was shown a little playful puppy with something in its mouth. And in that state, like I've got this state of bliss going on and it's like the puppy's kind of jumping around with this thing is like, here, take this here, look, 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 look. And I can remember saying to myself, you think I'm going to give this up for that? You've got to be kidding. And out of that experience, it took me about a year before, you know, resonance took over and issues that had been, that my mind told me were disturbing me, but were really just things showing me my own disturbance. The day before that happened, you know, some of them started to come back into the point where they were important enough to get into upset about. So once you get that, pull or my experience is once I got that pull it took time for the daily issues that I still hadn't worked through to come up to a level of import a level of noise or interference that I could you know turn my awareness over to the puppy and go okay let's get into this trauma or that upset or that upset 
So my take would be it would, be, it would have been just the, the, the fact that you made the commitment and the energy that your father asked of you and that you responded to. Mm. And what a gift. What a gift to give him. What a gift to give you. To give your family system. What a gift to give the world. And, you know, most people... You've heard me talk before about this song that uh, Joel Goldstein, who was the original music director at Heartland, wrote. And the song, the, the, the title or the melody line of the song is, Stuck in My Story, My Pain and My Glory. And when you have a peak experience like you had with your dad, like the one I'm talking about that I had way back when, that peak experience tends to extend further and further into our lives as we allow it to. But in that peak experience, the recognition of the import and not turning it over to the ego mind, it's like the ego offers, the puppy offers its upset, its disturbance, and it's like, eh, no thanks. I yeah. think I'll have a Rachma. I yeah. think I'll have a Rachma instead. Yeah, there you I go. Don't, I don't know if, if um, this will help or not, but... Uh, you said your dad passed six weeks ago. Mine did too. And one of the things, we were having a breath session that morning, and and I actually had like a um, spiritual connection with dad and told him, you know, he had struggled long enough and that he could go. I mean, it's been a rough year for him. And um, that afternoon after the breath workshop, we went to visit him and within about 30, 45 minutes of us getting there, he did pass. And it was, you know, yeah, there was um, sorrow at his leaving, but, you know, actually it was uh, phenomenal. Michael and I were holding his hands and talking to him, and, and Dad hadn't been able to roll over in bed or get up in bed, out of bed or anything in a year. And he sat straight up in bed, and looked over in the left corner of the room, and his eyes were huge. And he took a breath, and he laid down and was gone. And they were going to bring him back, and I'm like, no. I said, he's already, even before he left his body, he was already in the other realm. And, you know, I said, don't bring him back to this. And there was a peace, even though it was a mixture with sorrow, to let it go. Let it go. Yep. <laughs> Beautiful. So the question then, in my mind, rem- remains, so how do you create that urgency, if you call it an urgency? Well, like you say, Michael, that I, because of the commitment to, to the process and being there with my father, I was actually sharing this with Elliot. He was home, came home for the funeral. In my, I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking, so why am I not able to bring that, uh, or why am I, why am I, Peter, not able to, as readily as those two weeks with my dad, able to get into that space with my son sitting here now. I, I so wanted to be in that presence of love readily available. 
and I didn't have the same experience as I did with my dad. Question mark. Michael, I hear you talking, but you're not coming to the Excuse me. I had pushed my mute button. My my take would be that it, it didn't happen with your dad because you willed it to happen. It happened with your dad because the energy was right for it. You had done enough work to experience it. It isn't an act of your mind saying, oh, I'd like this to be what's true for now. And mm. as you do your work, there will come a point with your son when you've cleared enough noise out, enough of your own drama, trauma, pain, unresolved issues around your son, when you clear that out, that that will happen spontaneously with your son. But it's when you realize the, the, the inertia-bound mass of past energetic trauma that is in each one of us from our generations. I don't know if you were on the radio show back. It's getting probably close to a year ago now, but I was doing a, a still point session, and I was guided in that moment to look downward. I mean, my eyes are closed. I'm laying down doing still point breathing, and I'm guided to look down. So I t- turn my eyes downward, and I see this, unfathomable, just such a huge space of darkness. It's like more space than I can imagine was just filled with darkness. And then there were an uncountable number of lights in that darkness, small spots of light. And, and I'm, you know, I turn my eyes down, I'm looking at this and it's like, what is this? And what was explained to me again, by a voice that isn't speaking, but a silent voice, that these were my ancestors in the darkness that they were stuck in and that they were making a request of me to assist and become the space that could process that darkness. It's not a simple act of will to just say, okay, now I'm going to free myself from the darkness for a week or two weeks or because this is happening or because I want to. It's, it's a result of circumstance and the fruit of your work. If the work you've done is sufficient to warrant that drama and trauma dropping away, even if it's just for a moment, then it's going to drop away. And if I haven't done the work, you know, people will have that experience and others will be in the room and they'll go, well, nothing happened for me, so that's all just baloney. Well, no, you haven't done your work, so no, of course you wouldn't get a taste of that. You wouldn't get a sense of that. So it's like, uh, I'm not even sure how, you know, I'm making up words. I'm making up a way to understand it because we don't have words for the experience. But my take is that it's, it's a it's kind of like a reward you get when you've done the work to be ready for that to open and for that to happen. And it doesn't happen on demand. It happens as a result of uh, a confluence of circumstances, a gathering of all kinds of circumstances that that make you ripe for it and bang, there it is. And it's escaping you know, maybe a, a good example might be we've got this rocket in space and it's 
circling the Earth and it's stuck in the Earth's orbit? What kind of energy is it going to take for that rocket to break out of that orbit, the inertia that it's stuck in and gravity holding it to the Earth, to break out of that orbit and break off into space? And it's, you know, in terms of space travel, it takes an, another rocket engine going off when it's in that orbit, then bingo, that rocket goes off and it's freed from the inertia of the of the gravity field. And our work, to me, is that rocket that allows us to break free, even if it's only for a moment, from the inertia of the unresolved generational drama and trauma. So my take so in that specific circumstance with you and your dad would be the rocket was dad saying, son, are you here to be that space for me? And Peter, having done enough work to recognize a past with some traumas with dad being able to simply throw all that aside and say, I be here, Papa, or Papa, I'm here, Dad. Hmm. I actually had... That would be the rocket you, booster. And, uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, I actually had the thought of the two weeks that I was spending with him 24-7, I think it was the second or third day, it was so clear in my mind um, that, okay, uh, I have this opportunity here now. So to really choose, choose the love, choose the love, choose the love. And that was mm-hmm. the only task I had. I've heard, I've heard you say several times um, about your, your new understanding or new insight of what is what your role as a uh, grandparent is yes. with Aria. And my thinking when I've heard you say that, that's like, well, that is the role of the human being. And yes. when I get what you're saying so clearly when you have the, 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 the relationship with Aria, but, but really that is the task at hand. And I... During that, uh, those th- first days with uh, my father, and um, when I had that thought, I, I also re- uh, remembered the uh, closing days of 2019 at Heartland. You, when you looked at my evaluation sheet, you said, "You said um, these changes are for you to keep," and that very phrase. It came to me mm-hmm. uh, during mm-hmm. that uh, process with my dad. So it kind of makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. that You'd solidified uh, that enough of it the, that it was yours. Yeah. yeah. It, just happened. yeah. it just so-called happened. Yeah. Yeah. Only took 30 years of work for it to happen. <laughs> yeah. And you, you. I was going to say you, I, I wanted, I mean, that's my question. I wanted to, like you say, like a will of action to make it happen now. And Yes. But I hear your answer, and uh, keep on keeping on is the answer. Yeah, and, and so now when you want to have that open with your son, what's the inertia? What What are the energetic dynamics based in fear, sadness, grief, loss, anger, 
that lay within you unresolved between fathers and sons in your bloodline, in your family system, in your culture, and in your own relationship with Elliot. Do the work on that, and that will be the booster rocket that will allow you to break free from that at a point when it's important to be that with Elliot. I know that, and I can kind of compare this. I hadn't thought of it this way, but I'm thinking of it this way now. We recently had uh, time with Michael J. and his wife, Jamie, and their new baby, Kaylee Jo. And what we're talking about here is akin to, and I said this on the show when we came back from that vacation with them, you know, we've only met, you know, they live in Kansas City and we're here in Bristol, Virginia, a 13-hour drive away, 10-hour drive, whatever it is. And we've only been with Kaylee Joe three times now. And this last week, there was a new energy connection akin to what it is that we're talking about. And, and it was like when they were getting ready to get on the plane and fly back with the baby, it was like, wait, wait a minute, you, you can't take that baby. She's coming back to Bristol with us. You can't have her. You know, it's just like that, that kind of energetic connection. It's like, no, don't, don't take it. And, and I experienced myself in, in a new level of that presence of love with Michael J. And it's like Kaylee Joe's energy as a newborn is kind of like, for me, was like the booster rocket that opened a new space between Michael J. and I. And, yeah, and a sweet space with his wife, Jamie. So Kaylee Joe was the fuel for that for me in this recent, you know, this was just a few weeks ago that we did this um, vacation with them. And, of course, the ultimate objective is for us all to live there continuously. I mean, what do you suppose the earth is going to look like when 7.5 billion people wake up one morning and are in that space? It's like maybe then we'll get to know what human life is really for and really about. When these resonances based in unresolved hate and fear and rage and guilt and generational pain and trauma and war and when we finally work through those things, we get to experience what, you know, what's that song, Broadway song, you know, what's it all about, Elfie? (laughs) That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, again, going back to the beginning, exempt no one from your love. The opposite of that would be to embrace, to welcome, and to include everything. Yes. Yeah, the, and to include okay. everything, even the even the good, the bad, the as far as to the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, ultimately, can we be that committed to it? that that state of being stays present in our physiology, whatever our minds are telling us about what's happening inside or outside of us. Yeah, because everything I so-called see is reflection of what I have within. 
correct. So if if my world that I'm experiencing is not what you talk about now, well then uh, that is uh, <laughs> reflection back to me. Yes, exactly. Because, as you said, it's not si- not simple. It's rather hard, but uh, that's how simple it is, and it's the process exactly. itself. It could be can be a bit challenging. A bit, just a bit challenging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And yes, Jeannie, uh, actually, your father passed on a Saturday, I think, 18th of March. My father passed on the 19th of March. So, yes, wow. I follow yep. the, your process from here. I'll tell okay. you, his his passing was such a... One, that he waited for us to get there after Jeannie had that internal conversation with him. We had the Mind Shifters and Soap on Breathing workshop, and she had that conversation with him. And we finished the workshop, went to the hospital, and then he waited for us. And then he just let us share in that precious space where that opening occurred that was so precious, so... Sacred, I guess, is the word. That Beautiful. It, it's hard to be, you know, I can think of times when I thought of someone passing and how tra- traumatic it is. It's hard to be in trauma when we were able to share that space with him and the sweetness with which he just, it was clear where he was going. I mean, like, you know, the only thing left was a was a shell. It wasn't him laying on the bed after he passed. It was so clear. Uh, and, you know, how do you get uh, upset about good. that? Uh, <laughs> sad, yes, but upset, no. Yeah. yeah I, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. 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 Very much so. Well, it's awesome to hear that your work is moving forward like that and that uh, Tanya is with you in that and that you can share those conversations with your son. I mean, think about how different would our lives have been if our fathers, mine and yours, have been able to have that conversation with us when we were young I mean, I could never imagine my father even uh, being close to even be able to think about the kind of conversation. And if we can get this into common experience in the culture, that it's just the conversation that's there, how different is going to be for every child coming up? Like, you know, we've got this chance to really become a planet that is filled with actual humans, actual active present love, human life, rather than human forms with all the unresolved traumas and dramas and generational patterns that most families have never even thought could even be resolved, let alone work at resolving them. I mean, think about, you know, you shared some of what your early traumas were with your dad. Think about the difference you've made, Peter, in one generation when you think about 
your father's relationship and behaviors toward you and your relationship and behaviors toward your son in one generation. That's monumental. But that takes hold in mass on planet Earth. That's what this is all about. So joining you in it, that everyone between you and Sweden and us here in Virginia, as the energy exchange happens between us, everyone between us is touched by that energy moving through the structure of the earth. Because it does move through it. And when you think of the physicist Yeshua, who said a little leavening leavens the whole loaf, and then he clearly wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about us each being the leavening that brings that energy into physiology, which is, you know, the symbolic bread, the thing to be transformed. Human life arriving on Earth. <laughs> and that's why I so wanted it with Elliot uh, to be in that very space of love. So cancel yes. the goal for that. But it was so, mm-hmm. since I had it almost vibrating in the back of my mind, and look, I still remember the situation where I was sitting on this couch and wanting to bring that very, bring myself into that very space where we could sit in that space that me and my father sat in. And cancel it all for that and keep on. And look what you gave your son in that conversation. Your father never could have conceived of offering that conversation to you. And look what look what your son okay, you didn't do it fully and perfectly, but look at your son knows what's possible. What happens, I mean, you guys are still carrying forward with it, but what happens with his son? And and he's got this head start on it. And, and the fact that, what was he, about 10 months when he was first exposed to the principles of why is this happening to me again and still point breathing in a whole room full of people tapped into the presence of love? Yep. The difference you've made in one generation? And the question isn't what's in your wallet, it's what's in your genes. (laughs) Yeah. Good good, good sentence. Bumper sticker. (laughs) Yeah, bumper sticker. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's also so interesting. Looking back at this, I mean, my father, he was uh, challenged, and then two weeks of being really challenged, and then he passed. And these two weeks, looking back at it, and it's weird to say that it's almost the best time that I've had with him. And Mm -hmm. then looking at how we, the society, do. We institutionalize the old people. We institutionalize young people. And it's just another way of that how how lost we are. 
we we remove ourselves from that very situation of being to like you said with that baby of Michael J and then or with my situation with my father and instead we institutionalize and, and remove ourselves from that crazy yeah and you know when i think about what you've given your son and the head start that he's got when do you suppose there was a parent in your bloodline or mine that left with the gift that you gave your father when do you suppose was the last time that was seen i.e. what was your father's relationship like with your grandfather so dad got to leave with uh, I mean just such a monumental gift Yes. Genius dad got to leave with he both left. of us standing there holding his hand. He just he just looked at some pictures of his granddaughter, was laughing and smiling about three minutes before his last breath. And we were both there just holding the space and reflecting love to him. And it's like, that's what he carried with him. Look what your exactly. father carried like, with him. Yeah, it looks like they left with us, but no, they left with the space. They left yeah. the space of love. That's exactly. Thank yeah. you. Monumental. Just monumental. Ah, breathing with you. And we all Thank have you. work to do. <laughs> work goes on. We do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to put this show in the special archives so that uh, anyone... Uh, dealing with issues of family and people leaving uh, can have a different, a different, at least a vision of a different possibility. Well, I just want to extend my enormous gratitude for, uh, for the work, for, for you and for the work and for bringing me to, to this place. Thank you. Gratitude. Honored, honored, and delighted. Just totally and completely my blessing to be able to do it. That's what makes it all worthwhile. So thank you for saying thank you and passing it on. Thank you. All right, my friend. You have a blessed one. Everybody, thank you for joining us. It's been a delight. And... uh, Create the best year yet of your eternal life. Give the gift away. Exempt no one. Well, let's change the language because some of the regulatory speech in the course is not that great. Embrace everyone in your love. And then you will be embracing the part of you in need of healing. And your healing will be complete in that. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, 
please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.